Just like we will not forget the year 2020 A.D., uh, ancient Judah, they would not soon forget the year 750 B.C., which is where we find this passage. And so Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah. That's the southern part of the divided kingdom. Uh, He's this great, great, great grandson of King David. And so this is who we're talking about. Everything everything was looking up for the king and for the nation at this time. Jehoshaphat's just one of a few, a handful of, of good and godly kings of the nation of Judah who trusted, followed the Lord. And so in the previous chapter, chapter 19, there are recorded for us all of these wonderful reforms that that he was instrumental in bringing about in the nation of Judah and, and, and calling the nation back to, the, to, to worshiping and trusting the Lord alone. And so 750 B.C. was supposed to be this year of, of remembering the Lord's faithfulness to his people, celebrating that and looking ahead, progress for the, for the nation of Judah. It looked like better days were here and were ahead for the nation. But then everything came to a screeching halt as they're faced with this truly frightening threat, this crisis. And so we'll talk about the particulars of the, the desperate situation that they're in in just a moment. But the whole nation was rattled to their core by something. And they're, and they're faced with, with the potential of total devastation. And so how, how, would, how would they respond in a moment of crisis like that? And so... Keep that in mind now as we think about our own context. And this is, this is why this text has been on my mind as I've been praying for and thinking about the church and, and this kind of phase of our ministry. I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic and saying our situation is just like theirs. It's not at all. Uh, most of us have been you know, eating good home-cooked meals and watching Netflix and you know, sending hilarious memes to one another over the last uh, couple months. and So that's been most of our experience. But... <laughs> but I do realize, and we, we know, that, that this pandemic, it's been felt very deeply and directly and personally by many. And some of you, uh, Sarah Pass lost her grandfather to, to this virus, and, and, and others with job losses in all different ways. And, and this is not just local, it's worldwide. And so we know that. And I, and I realize the scope of the threat, it, it's, it's much larger than this local church and what we're experiencing Yes, we get that. But listen, as a church, this year was supposed to be significant for reasons other than COVID-19. This is the 50th anniversary of this assembly. And so this was a year of celebration, and we had had things planned, and there there was some momentum. This is the culmination of that five-year strategic planning uh, uh, effort that we've undergone, Vision 2020. And, and so we're seeing some momentum in areas and expanding our children's ministry and, and, and just seeing some neat things happen within our elder and deacon ministry and co- coordination between us and looking at staff structure and, 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 and ready to launch a new app and a website to ter- just draw us together as a church and, and using some of those technologies and remodeling the, some of our campus. And beyond that, there's all kinds of discipleship and community and and, and, and faith building that's going on and things were happening and counseling and peacemaking and these things are moving and then right as we're starting to see momentum within the year everything came to a screeching halt it seems and so we're, we're faced with something unprecedented in our church's history really in the church's history and it, and it hasn't just been an interruption of kind of peripheral activities like oh now we have to serve prepackaged snacks and fellowship time ah oh, it's awful 
It's not that. It's like it's, it's this most basic thing we're supposed to do as a church, assemble together on the Lord's Day. We've been un- unable to do that. And so how... So, 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 so it does rattle us. There's confusion. I know about the pandemic and what, how we're supposed to respond. There's concern for real needs that people are facing in our church, in our community, around the world. There are questions about what we should do and moving forward. There's uncertainty about the future. And so how do we respond in a time of ongoing crisis and threat? And so this is, this is the key idea. If, if, you just, if you just get this, please linger and and see this text through this lens, and it's this, is that the Lord has given us what we need in Himself to face real threats of danger. The Lord has given us what we need in Himself to face real threats of danger. That says a couple of things. One, there are real threats of danger. Why? Because we are weak people. We are, we are susceptible to danger and to threats and to trouble. And we can't deny that. So that's one aspect. And then second, though, there is real help because the Lord is strong. We are weak, so there are threats, but He is strong, and so there is help. That's what I want us to see in this passage. So here's the situation that Jehoshaphat and the people of Jerusalem and Judah were facing. He's reigned as king for many years at this point. By the time we get to this passage, he has, he, his reign has been a prosperous one. His reign has been a has been a, generally a very godly one for, for, for the most part as they've sought the Lord and to follow the Lord as a nation. But then one day, out of nowhere, it seems, the way it's recorded for us, Jehoshaphat's whole world it just is shaken. He has these intelligence sources who come running to him and, and, they, and they have this terrifying news. And so look at verse 2 of Second Chronicles 20. This is their report. They say, a great multitude is coming against you from Eden, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So there's this massive enemy coalition that's, that's formed against Judah, and they're poised to strike at the very heart of the nation in Jerusalem. That's the, that's the report he gets. Now, historically, there's, there's been a lot of bad blood between these nations that have formed together against Judah. This goes all the way back to Genesis 19. If you remember our study in that incestuous relationship that Lot had with his two daughters. And, and so these nations come from that. And so now these, these hostile nations are, are ready to just obliterate God's people. And they can do it. Humanly speaking. So this, this vast multinational army, they're, they're sneaking around the southern edge of the Dead Sea. And now they're just one day's journey away from Jerusalem. About 15 miles away when they get report that this army is coming at them. So Jehoshaphat's his life, the entire kingdom, is on the brink of complete and utter annihilation. And so we're not surprised when we read in verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He was afraid. Now fear seems like a rather natural and appropriate response for total and utter annihilation. And, and so some, 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 measure, some measure of fear is expected in the face of real dangerous threats. It's, the godly way is not just, just kind of casual indifference in the times of crisis. That's not it. And so the question for Jehoshaphat is, what will he do now that he's afraid? Where will he turn? This is the same question we face. 
But will he, like his great-great-great-grandfather David, will he, will he, when, when David was captured by the Philistines, he, he cried out to the Lord and says, when I am afraid, not if I am afraid, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Will that be Jehoshaphat's response? Well, you read on. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face. That's, a, that's an expression of resolve. It's determination. He, he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, full-on panic mode would have been understandable in that moment. Just put yourself in his shoes as a leader of this nation with this, this, this coalition that's coming and about to wipe them out. He could have received that intelligence briefing and just freaked out, yelled, and, you know, ah, Call the generals, muster the troops. We don't have a second to waste and, 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 and just gone into panic mode. Maybe, maybe after all the troops are mobilized and they're in battle ready and, and if there was time, they could stop for just a quick word of prayer before they go and try to defend the nation. But we, we could get that. I mean, have there been moments when you've responded with that, that sense of panic in the last several weeks even? Acting out of fear or panic, stockpiling things and, and uh, just glued to the news outlets and nervous activity. I mean, there were sleepless nights early on for myself as I was nervous for the church and the timing and what we're facing and how this is going to affect us and what, how many lives will be lost. I mean, you're just wondering in your un, unknowns. So I, I get that. Or we might expect Jehoshaphat to react out of anger, anger towards God in the face of a threat like this. Verse 1 begins with a little prepositional phrase, after this. And we talked about chapter 19, after what? After all of those great reforms he instituted in chapter 19. I mean, it would have been easy for him to say in a moment like this, when he gets news like this, God, what are you doing? I've tried to lead the nation to fear you, to obey you, we, I, I, to, to put away idols, because you're, you're alone. you are the only one worthy of worship and of trust. And now this... I mean, I confess, this has been a struggle too, especially early on in this, in this pandemic. I felt like we were getting some traction in some of those important areas in our church life and ministry, and then all that momentum comes to a stop in just a few days' time. Now, the Lord has been gracious even in that. He's just showing me, showing us, I think, that the goodness of less, of, of rest, of, of a slower pace and depending upon him and those things. And those are lessons I hope we don't soon forget as a church when things become more normalized. Um, but but we, can, we can feel sometimes like we're, we're getting the raw deal. We can, we can see that anger surge in us. I mean, some of you have, have started new jobs and, and careers that you're very excited about and you're enjoying, and now you're wondering if there's a future for you there. And, and that anger can lurk in your hearts as you question. Another re natural reaction would have been for Jehoshaphat to trust in his resources. I, I mean, 2 Chronicles 17 tells us he had this well-equipped, state-of-the-art army for that time, well-organized. They were, they were in, in many ways, equipped for the nation's defense, for battle. And it would have been easy for him to trust in their preparedness, to trust in the military. And many of us have this tendency in times of trouble to, to kind of buckle down and grit your teeth and bow your chest and, 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 and we put confidence in ourselves, self-confidence, a 
It's not the kind of confidence we need in a time of crisis. There's a, there's a corporate version of that church. Church confidence. That's not, that's not where our confidence lies, in an organization or in, in individuals. But what happens? Those are, those are potential scenarios. But instead, Jehoshaphat, when he is afraid, he knows he's weak. He knows these threats are real and substantial. And, and what does he do? He publicly admits his lack of strength and cries out to God as his only help in a time of crisis. I mean, don't miss the significance of this. I know we read this, and oh, yeah, okay. Kings in the ancient Near East were a proud lot of people. They're like pastors in the modern West. <laughs> we, they, 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 they had an image to maintain. They had to project strength. They had to be tough and inspire confidence in their abilities to lead what kind of leader admits to his people and stands in front of them and says, I'm afraid, folks. I, 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 we are helpless against this enemy. That's exactly what he does. He admits his fear. He, he owns his inability. He cries out to God, and he calls the nation to fast and to pray. I mean, Eric read the prayer just a moment ago, and we won't read it again, but he's con- in that prayer, he's con- just confessing who the Lord is. You are transcendent. You are above us. You are unstoppable in power. He's rehearsing the promises of God. You said you would be faithful to us, and, and, and so we're, we're banking on that. He's imploring the Lord to stop these invaders. He's, he's confessing they're powerless before the enemy. Again, verse 12, we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. I mean, isn't that something that would have been better for him to pray in his prayer closet alone as the king and then dry his eyes and, you know, wash his face, compose himself, then stand before the people and say, okay, we, we do have a little problem here, folks. Don't be alarmed. Nothing to be concerned about. We've, we've got it taken care of. We're going to be just fine. Our military's strong. It's going to protect us. But he's not concerned about public image or politics. It's the last thing on his mind. He, he knows they're in deep trouble if God doesn't answer and come through. He knows the threat is real. He knows they're weak. He knows they're helpless on their own. So he admits it and he calls upon the Lord with this sense of utter dependence upon God. I mean, just mothers, as you're here, I know this isn't a Mother's Day message, but I, I, I do think I, I've been thinking and praying for you a lot this week. And, 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 and mothers, your ultimate responsibility as a mom is not to eliminate all the potential threats to your children. I know if you feel that pressure. It's not to eliminate all obstacles that your children may face by your careful planning and maneuvering and strategizing as a mother and getting everything just right. It's not to inspire their confidence in you and your ability to give them everything they need or want. That's not really your job. If the future of your children or grandchildren, if you're a grandmother here, if the future of your children is dependent upon you or any other human being, they're toast. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. You know. <laughs> I mean, what is, what is your job is to, is to admit 
Your weakness is to own your dependence upon the Lord and desperation for Him. It's to, it's to acknowledge there are real threats. And it's to lead them to seek the Lord for help. That's, that's motherhood. To help them understand better and better this truth. They don't have what it takes, but God does. They can't. God can. That's, 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 that's how to shepherd the hearts of your children and, and that's how your own heart needs to be shepherded. You, you, we, we demonstrate that. We understand we can. I can't do this as a mom. God, I'm helpless. But you're able. You can use even me. Church, this is in a time like this, and in all times, we need this attitude, don't we? I mean, it doesn't mean we make no plans. It doesn't mean we're passive and just kind of watching things unfold. We, yes, we're active and working and we're, we're thinking things through. But it does mean, ultimately, our trust is not in our plans. It's, 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 we look to, we trust the Lord. Why? Because we come back to that main idea here. Because the Lord has given us everything we need in Himself to face real threats of danger. It's in Himself. So we don't know what to do. But our eyes, our eyes are on you. That's where God wants us to be, brothers and sisters. This is it. That's where He wants His church to be. Most of most of the work he does in our lives, isn't it? It's, it's breaking us from that false sense of security that we have. He's constantly stripping away the things in which we trust in most. Our health, our career, our money, our friends, our dreams, reputation, whatever it is that we're clinging to other than him. He, he's pulling those things away and he, he's doing it not to destroy us, but because he loves us. And we have, he wants us to come to that place where we have no place to go but himself. He wants to, to, he wants to break us of that, that proud, can-do attitude that says, I can take it. I can handle it. I've got this. I've got it under control. And he does it because, again, he loves us. So he can bring us to the place where we, we, we gladly and humbly confess, Lord, I can't can't but you you can this is why paul was given the thorn in the flesh by the lord so that paul would come to the place where he sees that the lord's grace is sufficient it's enough that his strength is made perfect in weakness i mean this is this is the this is primarily this is there's a strong connection here because this is what the lord is doing throughout all history with his people but when you look in in the letter of 1 Corinthians, this is what we're going to see over and over again. This is a proud, self-reliant church, the Corinthian church. And what does he say? He says, don't, don't boast in yourselves. This is all of the Lord's doing. And he's going to say later in the letter, he says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't think you're better than you are. You're weak. And then, and then he urges them, what? Flee idolatry. He's not, that's not like some angry scold. That's saying, Stop trusting things other than me. Cling to me. Hold fast to me. And so we'll get ready. There's more to come about that. But the process can be painful, but the blessings that, that overflow from that, that work that the Lord does in our lives, they're plentiful. And you, I no doubt you've experienced that personally, and we've experienced that together. So Jehoshaphat prays. The answer isn't long in coming, and we're just going to summarize here. In, in verses 13 to 19, this beautiful image, the whole nation standing before the Lord, husbands and wives and, and little ones, the text says, and, and the prophet proclaims the word of the Lord there. Don't be afraid, verse 15, 
the battle is not yours, it's God's. And so then they're given instructions, not by a military commander, but by a prophet of God, and, and what they're to do, and they're to go down against them and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't be afraid. Tomorrow, go against them, and the Lord will be with you. And so then Jehoshaphat and all the people begin worshiping the Lord, praising him, the text says, with a, a very loud voice. So they're, they're, they're on the brink of annihilation, and they're, 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 they're exalting the Lord, lifting their voices, praising him. In verse 20 and 21, they go out just as the prophet told them to do in this strange military formation. And so it's not the swordsmen and the archers or anybody else in front. It's the choir. Choir's going in front, and they're singing this song, belting it out over and over and over and over again. What is the song they're singing? Give thanks to the Lord. For his steadfast love endures forever. This is what they're singing as they're going out, facing this massive army that's poised to, to, to completely obliterate them. And the Lord does just as he promised. Verse 22, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir and who had come against Judah, and they were routed. We don't know exactly how God did this, but we do know that he did it completely. Verse 23 says, they all helped to destroy one another. And so, meanwhile, again, they're still marching and singing. They're not even to the battlefield yet. They're just getting there, and, and, and they're unaware of what's happening ahead of them. And so when they finally get to a place, this watchtower, where they can see, you know, come to a high point and see out, all they see are these corpses drying in the hot desert wind. Verse 24, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. The whole army, gone. Now, how do none escape? I don't know if, like, the last two soldiers stabbed each other at the same time, or the last one standing at a heart attack. I'm really not sure. But no one escaped. It's very explicit. It's, it, it, Judah won a battle they never even fought. Never shot an arrow, never threw a spear, never drew a sword. They marched in faith and they sang. And the Lord did it. The battle was not Jehoshaphat's. The battle was not Judah's. The battle was the Lord's. Their job was simply to acknowledge their weakness against this threat. To trust in the Lord and look to him. And then to vocalize their worship and their confidence in the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. That's our response, isn't it? When we own our helplessness, when we, when, we, when we trust in the Lord, it overflows in expressive worship. It cannot help, but when we, when we truly get those realities that come together, there, there are real threats because we are genuinely weak people as humans, and yet there is real help from the Lord because He is unbelievably strong. When we own those and grasp those two realities, we find ourselves singing in the valley of blessing. And that's what the rest of the story goes on to say. It talks about them gathering all of this spoil. And then verse 26, on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah. For there they blessed the Lord. And they returned to Jerusalem, singing and playing instruments and dancing before the Lord. And the Lord gives them peace in the land. Worshiping God before the crisis, during the crisis, after the crisis. 
time is always right to worship the Lord, brothers and sisters. Just as Eric was saying, it's not when everything is, is just right, when we're not having to do a live stream and we're, and we're all here and we're not spaced apart in chairs and trying not to touch each other and, and you know, uh, trying not to cough. Some of you are holding it in like crazy. I know I am. Um, and so um, it, that, that, that's not when we get to worship. No, we worship the Lord when things are desperate, when there's threats, during pestilence, during isolation, during economic instability, during all times. Again, mothers, children don't need perfect moms. They need moms who know they're weak, who face real threats. They need moms, though, who look to the Lord for help, and he strengthens them in their weakness, what he's called them to, and then they worship the Lord and give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love that endures forever. What a what a great view, motherhood. Church, I mean, getting things going here, I confess it seems overwhelming at times. I don't know why, but it does. I mean, uh, just, it, in some ways, it's always, it, our mission is enormous. Make disciples of all nations, and, 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 and the threats and the obstacles, there are many. The needs are great, just in this local congregation, let alone our community, let alone looking globally. Resources seem limited. Even live streaming has been difficult. We were up here all yesterday trying to figure this out and how to do it well. And, 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 and so just simple things seem hard. Tasks seems impossible. What do we do to do? Just kind of give up, be frozen in apathy, become ingrown and just kind of focus on our wants, our needs, desires as a group. No, we pray, Lord, we don't, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We, we own our weakness. We depend upon the Lord who is strong. And then we herald his worship because it's his fame. It's, it's his fame that needs to spread. And we march towards the battle to see the salvation of the Lord. He's provided. I, I pray that as we, as we continue in this strange year, as our 50th anniversary as a church, that it wouldn't be a year of, of pounding our chests and holding our chins high as a church. Yes, it will be a time to look back with gratitude to God for the grace that he's bestowed upon us and the things he's done through us. We, we do want to give thanks and, and absolutely, but I pray that we will feel our weakness and inability like never before. And this whole thing may be a mercy even for us. That we would fix our eyes upon the Lord, cry out to him for help as we, as we go forth worshiping and proclaiming Christ together, seeing the salvation that he accomplishes. So let's be a weak, let's be a weak church together. Let's be a weak and worshiping church together this year. The Lord has indeed given us everything we need in himself to face real threats of danger, church. There's no greater demonstration of that statement than <laughs> of God meeting needs that we have in himself. There's no greater demonstration than in the death and resurrection of Christ, is there, in the gospel. What is it? What is the message? It, the message is we are weak. We are helpless. We are hopeless. We are sinful. We are unable to rescue ourselves from the greatest possible eternal threat that we could ever face, and that's the judgment and wrath of God against us for our sin. And yet God, who is infinitely strong, did for us what we could not ever do. 
He sent his son, Jesus, to live a, a perfect life, a perfect life of righteousness, and then to suffer and die to pay the just penalty that we deserve for our sins. And then he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and he will one day return to take us home. The gospel is, is the exclamation point on what God is communicating all the way from the beginning and is communicating to the end. It's we're weak. He's strong. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is as we come to the end of ourselves and we look to him. That's true for us as we gain entry into the kingdom by, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're watching or if you're here today and if you're not trusted in Christ, if you're clinging to something other than Christ, if there's that shred of self-confidence that you're going to stand before the Lord on the, on the record of your good deeds or the fact that you're not as bad as other people or you went to church a lot, give it up. Lay it down. Look to Christ and Him alone. It's, it's only Jesus. Trust Him today. But for the believer, brothers and sisters, this is, why we're con this is why we gather together. This is what we've been missing. It's to come together and remember that it's all Christ. We are weak. He is strong. He's given us everything we need in Jesus, and we need to be constantly pointing one another to Him. And what will the overflow of that be as we remember our weakness and we look to Him for strength and, and look to what Christ has done? It's going to be singing. This is what will be for eternity, blessing the Lord, worshiping around the throne of the Lamb of God, saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Not, not he did his part, we did ours. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He did it all to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He gets it all. And it's the gospel, it's this gospel reality that, that changes everything for us. And we, again, we have to constantly remember. This is what Paul spent 16 chapters in the letter of 1 Corinthians doing for this church. And this is what we're going to be reveling in over the coming months, brothers and sisters. To this proud, uh, divided, confused church, what does Paul do? He holds forth Christ. He holds out the gospel to them. And he says, this changes everything. He says, at the very beginning, he says, remember, you were foolish. You were weak. There's our word. You were despised. You were nothing. What? But God, God chose you. God justified you. God redeemed you. You couldn't do it. He did it. You can't. He can. You're weak. He's strong. You're powerless. He did it all. And what's the conclusion? Why is that? So that it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's our boast, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we look to you. We thank you for the love that you demonstrated in doing what we could never do. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Spirit, for working in our hearts to open up uh, our hearts to receive this truth, Father. We, we pray for that ongoing work in our lives, Father. Keep us humble individually in these trying days that we would, we would, not, um, we would not despair or or be afraid, but we would be confident in you, and we would also not be proud and self-confident, but would, would turn uh, from proud confidence in ourselves and, and find our confidence in you alone. So keep us humble individually and corporately as a church. Keep us trusting you. Thank you for our dear brothers and sisters watching over the internet today. I know they long to be here. We long for them to be with us, but we thank you that they are able to join in that way. Thank you for motherhood and the gift and the opportunity for families to, to celebrate that today. And, and I know there will be laughter and joy and remembrances. There will be tears of losses. And, and, um, but I'd pray for all of the, the mothers here that you would get free them from the burden of trying to be perfect. 
Help them to, to rest in you. Give them joy in owning their weakness and dependence upon you and help them sing of your steadfast love even through hard times like this. Now, Lord, send us out. Send us out with testifying that we are weak, but you are strong. You are mighty to save those who are helpless. And so, Lord, use us as your ambassadors, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.